Amen. Thank you, Brother Imondi. We're going to dismiss the children with the Imondis at this time, going over to the children's ministry. Galatians chapter number 2. I'm excited about how the Lord's using the Imondis, and um, He is... Um, he was able to help us with the music at the men's advance. And, <clears throat> and of course, Mrs. Imondi teaches in our academy. And, and um, they're going to be stepping in and working with the teenagers here in the next week. And I'm grateful for what they're doing and how God's working there. Many know Brother Imondi was an evangelist and wanted, believed that God wanted him to be here, Canaan Baptist Church. And, and he's allowed me to be transparent with his pilgrimage, but I think it's, it says a lot as to his character and his commitment. And I let Brother Imondi know, I knew he could preach, he could travel, he has already been in ministry, but I also recognize the need for understanding this matter of the church. And I reminded him, like I've reminded us so many times, we don't need to just attend we don't need to base. We need to belong. Everybody needs a personal relationship with the Lord, and everyone needs a church family. And, uh, but I understand when I say that, not everybody gets it because, well, I understand some of your families. And so I know that you understand maybe a different what a church family may look like. Well, I'm talking about the church family as we go back to and find in the New Testament. And it's something that is very precious to the Lord Jesus. And, and so I asked Brother Imondi, I said, I'm not telling you this is God's will for you to come and, and go through this. But I'm telling you, if you come, it is God's will that I pastor you the way God wants me to pastor you. And so I said, no evangelism for a year. You don't think about a meeting, you don't get a meeting. I want you to learn what it means to be a good church member before you step into a pulpit of a church somewhere and preach to church members. And um, he put himself through that process. He stayed with it. And, we, and I've watched his growth and I've watched his commitment and, um, and, and staying with the process. And, um, you know, the Bible gives that. Peter talks about it. James talks about it. <clears throat> Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God. <clears throat> That he might throw you down in due season. No. He's all about lifting you up and exalting you. But not exalting you for your sake, but as Mrs. Abar is saying, it's for his name's sake. And he wants to exalt. Well, when's my time coming? Due time. When am I going to get to teach? Due time. If you cooperate with God's process. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God. And, um, and I'm, I'm very excited for what God's going to do <clears throat> through the Amandis here and what he's doing here in our midst. Galatians chapter number two. You have it? Amen. Let's stand together, please, out of respect for the Bible. We're going to look at two verses this morning. Verse number 16 and 17. Paul writes, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ, but by the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. 
But if, while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners. Is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. We've been going through this series in the book of Galatians, discussing this truth of finding freedom. Oh, if you're searching for true freedom this morning, freedom from sin, freedom from shame, freedom from guilt, you've come to the right place. The book of Galatians. Whatever you are experiencing this morning, whatever bondage you might find yourself in, I want you to know this morning that Jesus Christ can set you free. And it is that freedom, that liberty that Paul is writing about to the churches of Galatia. I want to preach this morning on this thought. Understanding the truth of the gospel. Understanding the truth of the gospel or God's program that liberates. God's program that liberates. Thank you. Please be seated. We saw in the previous passage verses, beginning in verse number 14, where Peter, his hypocrisy in Antioch, it called for Paul to step in and rebuke him because Peter's conduct was out of step with the truth of the gospel. In other words, Peter got saved the same way we got saved, but he started because of the culture of the Jewish people and their system started implying that the Gentiles are going to have to imbibe the Jewish culture of the laws and Sabbath and sacrifices. And Paul said, this is a problem. And Paul stepped in and he began to confront Peter because There needed to be clarity brought to the gospel message. Listen, the gospel literally is good news, but it's not good news if we pervert it with something else, something more or something less than what God designated and designed it to be. And in this passage of scripture, that's exactly what Paul does. These two verses actually form one single verse in the Greek language. And thus what we have here is a one sentence summary of the truth of the gospel. What we have here is the Bible's teaching on justification in a nutshell. In a, in a single sentence, we have here the Holy Spirit of God using Paul to capture the heart and the soul of the Christian faith. For these two verses answer the question of how unworthy sinners like you and me can find right standing before a holy God. I believe that this is what Paul was telling Peter there in Antioch. I believe also that this is what Paul wanted the Galatians themselves to hear, so he included it in his letter. And I believe with all my heart that this is what the Holy Spirit of God wants us to hear even this morning. See, these two verses is the sum of the whole matter. In other words, these two verses is where we get the source of life, the source of joy, the source of peace, and an endless string of happy tomorrows and living with the one true God. Let me ask you, do you revel in the truth of these two verses? Is 
this the foundation of your hope for the future? Are these two verses the truth, the truth of the gospel that you turn to when you have blown it? Do you approach the trials and tests in your lives steadied by the reality of these two verses? Does this truth inform you how to deal with your own sin? Do you allow this truth to shape how you think about other religions? Do you allow these two verses to shape your outlook on the world, people, and, and eternity? See, the truth of the gospel in these two verses is perhaps best unpacked with three simple thoughts. I want us to look at these thoughts here this morning. In our time remaining, we have in these two verses, God's program for liberation. There are many who have gone through the Christian life entering into it. And it's like in the 1800s when the Emancipation Proclamation went forth. Yet there were many that died never experiencing freedom. God's given us Emancipation Proclamation when we came to Jesus Christ. But if you're not experiencing and living and reveling in the liberty and the freedom, I trust you'll find it. And in so doing, you'll have to first find him. Now, Jesus Christ not only gives us liberty, but he gives it to us for life. Once he sets a person free from the bondage of the law, it's for life. You've heard the expression, someone got a life sentence. Well, God's liberation program is when a person gets saved, it's intended for life. Now, as we think about God's liberation program, the first thing we read in verse 16 is this. Notice in verse 16, knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, but by faith of Jesus Christ, the faith of Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ, not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. You say, I don't get it. Well, listen carefully. But notice the first word, knowing. So number one, I want you to see this morning a certainty of the gospel. There's a certainty of the gospel. Knowing. Knowing what? Well, he gives us several things that we're to know. Some things we're to know. This is not what's supposed to happen. We are to know certain things that are to happen. But what he's telling us is that God liberates from sin's penalty. That Jesus gives you something when a person gets saved, and if you're not saved, you don't know you're saved, you can be saved today. You can know it today. And in so knowing it, you can know that God liberated me. Amen. You say, I, I don't feel liberated. We're not talking about feelings yet. I'm not even talking about you experiencing liberation. We're talking about knowing what Jesus did. This is something he is saying you can understand with certainty, knowing there is a certainty about it. Now, as wonderful as salvation is, Brother Autry, there's something even better than being saved. And that is being saved and knowing you're saved. I call that a double blessing. 
Going through life saved and knowing that you're saved and knowing and knowing and knowing that you can never lose that salvation. I call that being thrice blessed. Someone says, I ain't going to that church. There's a bunch of hypocrites. I'll tell you this. I'd rather go to church with a bunch of hypocrites than go to hell with a bunch of hypocrites. I do that any day. Paul says that we can know something delightful. It's, it's what God did on the cross. It's what he provided at salvation. So there's a certainty. Knowing. But then he gives us number two, a contrast. Three times he uses the word in verse 16, justified. He actually uses it again in verse 17. And I think he uses it again here in verse number, um, no, just 16, 17 there in that context. But three times in verse 16. This is the first time, first, first time that we encountered the word justified. It's a concept that is central to all that we believe and hold dear. It is central to the book of Galatians. It is central to our faith. Now, while justification may be a term that you've heard, it's like a lot of terms. I know the term, but I don't really grasp the meaning. Now, there are different words used to describe the various facets of our salvation. I took in Bible college uh, soteriology that Dr. Childs taught and, and we would hear about Lewis Sperry Schaefer and wrote, what was it, 33 things that happen at the moment that a person trusts Christ and there's a myriad of more, but, but 33 things at the very moment that a person was saved that took place, justification is just one of them. And it's a term that Paul is trying to drill deep into our hearts and minds. Justification is a term that was used in the law courts. It's a legal term. It means to declare or pronounce not guilty. Here he is saying that one has been declared innocent. Now, here's what I used to think. I'm innocent. But that's not what it says. I'm guilty. But when we come to Christ because of who Christ is, he declares us justified. It means more than being declared innocent. It is not simply that we are forgiven, but rather forgiveness is a result of being justified. It's not just that we've been pardoned and our sentence to hell has been commuted. No, justification is not about avoiding a just punishment while still carrying around our guilt. No, it's about being declared righteous in the sight of Almighty God in His eyes because of the person and the work that took place at the cross. And that is good news. See, this is where the Judaizers, the Jewish resistance 
That's what they were wrestling with. So in trying to answer the question of justification, what are we relying on or trusting in to give us right standing before God? So the Judaizers said, you need Jesus. And you need to do this. Or this. And trying not to offend the Jewish culture, they, they were trying to bring in some of the things. Why would somebody ever want to add to God's good news? It, it really doesn't humanly make sense, except for the fact there's something that we just like to boast in. You ever ask somebody, do you know if your sins are forgiven? You have eternal life? Do you know if you're going to heaven? And you ever notice how many, many, many in our Christianized culture of America and the Bible Belt, how many answer that question, are you saved? Are you a child of God? Well, I keep the Ten Commandments. It's like me asking, are you married? Well, we walk the aisle. It's just simple, yes or no. But there's something about saying, well, I, I've kept the law. I haven't done this. I, I haven't killed any. Well, maybe scratch that one off. But yeah, I, I, I'm just, I'm not that bad. It, and it's all about boasting in the wrong thing. That's why we sang the song, I'm not boasting in anything but Jesus Christ. What do I have to boast in? So the Judaizers were, were trying to mix. For the Judaizers, they combined Christ and elements of the Jewish tradition and religion. For them, justification would have come from Jesus Christ. And if you would have asked the netcaster question, what else? They would have said, oh, in Jewish heritage and ancestry. Anything else? Well, the nationality or ethnicity is part of the salvation equation and the Gentiles, they need to respect that. Anything else? Well, some good works keeping the law, especially circumcision and the Jewish traditions that have been tacked on by the law that the Gentiles know nothing about, and that's going to help. And so, in responding to this wrong-headed thinking in verses 15, 16, 17, and 18, Paul does not deny that the Jews have an advantage or should have been at an advantage because of their Jewish upbringing, being taught the Old Testament scriptures and corporate worship. He's not denying that. However, he is very clear that he wants them to know that these privileges, they don't make a person righteous before God. Paul, in the last part of verse 16, notice what he says. Since by the works... Of the law, for by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified. That does not mean that the law is bad. It just means that's not the law's purpose. It's not the intent. See, the law was never meant to justify. It is not able to justify. So when somebody says, I'm keeping the law, meaning I'm trying to do the best I can. I'm keeping, I keep the Ten Commandments. I try to keep the golden rule. I try to, I try to keep myself being a good citizen. I'm trying, you should. The law, however, was never meant to be kept to justify you. The law was intended to tell you, you need to be justified. 
Only faith in Christ alone can justify a person. So when Paul tells us in verse number 19, notice what he says, For I, through the law, am dead to the law, that I might live unto God. He was not saying the law was irrelevant and to be discarded or disconnected from a life of a Christian. No, he's saying that he died to the law as a means of justification. In other words, he's saying the law is good. He told us in Romans 7, I would not have known sin had it not been for the law. If I want, to, if I want somebody to get saved, I've got to get them to see that they're in need of salvation. How does a person see the need for getting saved when they're convinced they're sinners? Well, how does a person become convinced that they're a sinner? By holding up the law and say, how do you measure? When we went to Brewster's um, years, years over the years as Priscilla was growing, we, we'd go up and they wanted to stand in front of that, that measuring stick there to determine whether or not they get a free ice cream. And so we did that, and, and then when Gretchen came along, Will came along, we'd put them there and take their picture. We did the same thing when we'd go to an amusement park where they were, would have to stand under that and, um, and to see if they could ride. And Brother Rick still stands under that and, and has yet to be able to ride. And I feel bad for Miss Kelly having to ride all those things by herself. And, but it's a measuring. It's, it's, a, it's a measuring system there. And... Uh, and that's what the law does. Oh, I think I'm pretty good. Well, let's put the law beside me. Oh, I'm pretty bad. I'm pretty bad. Someone says, well, what's the use? Well, the use is to see that there's not one to help put a Band-Aid on your life. That's why the world says, I don't need religion. I don't need Christianity. That's a crutch. We don't need a crutch. We need a deliverer. I don't need a life raft. I need life. And so the law helps me see that. And, and I'm, I know some of you may be thinking, this is so basic. And that's what Paul's point is, because he's not just sticking to how to get eternal life, but he's going to move into Galatians chapter 3 and turn the corner in chapter 3, chapter 4, and chapter 5 to say the reason why some are not experiencing life and liberty in the Christian life is because you got away from the same dynamic that you experienced at salvation. So he's laying the foundation. He is hitting it. He's wanting us to revel in it and understand it because he's going to get to chapter 3 and verse 1. He's going to say, you bunch of morons. You say, he didn't say that. Well, he said foolish. That's the Greek word for moron. That's where we get it from. And he said... Don't you remember how you got saved? Well, that's coming up. So he's hitting this because he's also dealing with the other religions that are infiltrating, but he's also laying the groundwork and the foundation necessary to take the next steps. Now, we've got to answer the same question for ourselves. What are we relying on or trusting in to give us right standing before God? And it can't be the faith of our parents or our grandparents. 
Sometimes I'll have people say, well, I talked to my parents and they told me I prayed a prayer and I called. I would be very scared to go to bed at night hanging on to what my parents said about the prayer that I prayed when I trusted Christ. Well, I talked to the person that led me to the Lord and they assured me nobody can give you assurance. Nobody can give you assurance of salvation. Nobody can but God. It can't be the fact that we are brought up in a religious or even a Christian home where we receive strong, ethical, moral teaching. No, it's not related to how well we serve in the church. It's not how often we serve or what we give to the church. Those things are wonderful, but none of those things are salvation. If those things saved us, then what he's telling us in chapter 2 and verse number 21, that Christ died in vain. He died because there was no other possible way of being justified. See, the thought that the Apostle Paul is giving in this chapter is that justification by faith and sanctification by faith. What is that? That means the Christian life. Justification by faith and sanctification by faith is how we grow in Christ. He tells us the way you live the Christian life is the way you received the Christian life. And it is by grace, through faith, not by the works of the law. It's not an installment plan where Jesus made the down payment. You've got to keep up the rest of the payments. No. And if we don't, if we don't keep up the payments, he's going to repossess my salvation. That's not the way it is according to the Apostle Paul. He uses the example, you'll recall as we, we talked about this back earlier in chapter 2 with Peter, who was switching back and forth on this point. And Paul is saying, yes, Gentiles can be saved by grace, and they don't have to come by the way of the, the law of the Jews. And now he's talking about this matter of justification. It's a legal term, again, used in the court of law. Justified. It's a picture of you standing before a judge. A holy God. And there you stand condemned and guilty. And God, the judge of the universe, asks, what is your plea? There's really only one plea. Romans 3.23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And I can only plead guilty. Guilty. John 3.18, for all have sinned. And um, as a result of that, we are under the condemnation of God. John 3.18 does not teach when you die, you will be condemned. John 3.18 teaches that unless you've been birthed into the family of God, unless you are in God's family, a saved child of God, you are currently, presently condemned already. Now here's what this matter of justification again means. It means that if you're here today without Christ in your life, it's not one day you're going to be condemned, it's that you're condemned already and you'll spend an eternity separated from God because justification is not in your life until you come to the only one who can justify you. So there we are as a sinner standing before a holy God already condemned. And God, the judge, asked, what is your plea? You plead guilty. And then up walks Jesus. He's the attorney. He's the advocate. And he says to the judge, I paid the price for his guilt. 
I paid the price for his crime on the cross. My death took his death. And God says on the basis of the blood of Jesus, I declare you righteous. And I give you on the basis of the blood of Jesus, full, complete, life-giving justification. And when that happens, when that happens, it is as though... You and I have never sinned. You say, but we have. That's why we should never get over it. God doesn't put you on parole. God gives you full pardon. He never holds your sin against you ever again. They're gone, gone forever. He declares you justified. Just. As if I had never sinned. There's something that God cannot see when he justifies you. He cannot see the sin through the blood of Jesus. God says, I declare you righteous. Now, God doesn't make you righteous. He declares Anybody sin this week? We're not righteous. He is. And when we came to him, God says, that's all, all that we need is Jesus. So what makes this happen? God's liberation program. Well, how does that happen? Well, there were some in the churches throughout Galatia that thought that God's liberation program came again through the law of Moses. And one of the devil's biggest lies is the doctrine of self-merit. That's the idea that says, again, if I do so-and-so, I merit this, I get this from God. And the problem with that, the problem with that is that some people, though they're saved, they got saved only one way by Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. But then it creeps into their life and they once again have this, you don't know who I am, do you? Look at what I've done. I don't need to. I was recently in a conversation with a pastor about 20 years ago, a family had come into his church. I knew the family well. They moved there because they felt God was in them moving there in the church there like we do here. As long as you're saved, we all need to be following the Lord. And it can't be on our own terms. It's got to be on his. And God uses the church as the equipping station for his people today. And, and so they had a discipleship emphasis. A man there in the church, he and his wife were going to disciple this couple. The man got with the man and, and that new member man was excited about this discipleship journey. Well, he grew up in a Christian home. His uncle was a pastor. Grew up around preachers involved in church, but he realized, man, I've got so much more to learn. I'm excited about this. While his wife, however, was approached by this other um, one designated by the pastor to disciple her. And, 
and she started into discipleship, but she was a little bit skeptical about it. They had a number of children, young children, little children. I think the oldest may have been maybe second, third grade. I mean, they had enough to count on a couple hands. So this is really critical, very crucial. Somebody said to this new church member, the wife, why are you going through discipleship? Didn't you grow up in a Christian home? Isn't discipleship just for people who just get saved? And so she said, I'm not going through discipleship. And she began to pick apart everything about her discipler. My house is cleaner than hers. I'm more organized than she is. Why am I sitting here going through this? And complained and complained and criticized and bellyached. The husband couldn't lead her and so let her have her way. I remember getting a call from the pastor and an assistant and who were trying to work with them and can you help? And I remember going over and I would sit down with them and say, you sought my counsel in moving here. This is what you need. This place will help you. It'll change your life. But you've got to get in. You've got to get all in. And, and there's just this. It breaks my heart that God buried one of their children it breaks my heart. Not only did they leave the church because they found everything wrong, but they also, they broke their marriage vows. And they've left each other. I stand and I look at those children that had such hope. And every one of them are scarred by the world. You know why? They all claim to have gotten saved the Bible way. But they forgot that the way you get saved is the way you live the Christian life. One of the devil's biggest lies is the doctrine of self-merit. Why is it that people are still buying into it? Again, it's because there's something appealing to my pride. If I can try a bit harder, I'll succeed. If I can do a little bit more. But when it comes to salvation, that doesn't work. And Paul's going to hit pretty hard in chapter 3. Neither does it work in the Christian life. I want you to see the third truth, and, and we'll hit on this later, but I want to introduce it. Not only do we have the certainty of the gospel, a contrast about the gospel, a gospel being justified by the law or justified by faith in Jesus Christ, but number three, a change by the gospel. 
We find in verse 17, 18, and 19, he's hitting this. And, and notice verse 17, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, we ourselves also are found sinners, is therefore Christ the minister of sin? God forbid. You know when a person is justified? When you become in Christ. Do you know when you become in Christ? When Christ becomes in you. And that takes place when you invite him into your life by faith, repentance. Now learn this. When you get into Christ and Christ gets into you, you are never, never the same person ever again. You're changed not only in your position before God, but you're changed also personally. And it's an inside-out job. Christ in you changes you. Christ in you frees you. Once you experience God's freedom and life at salvation, it's yours for life. It's a life sentence. Remember Peter? His behavior wasn't matching up. It wasn't lining up with what he believed. And Paul had to come, uh, uh, confront him and challenge him that your life needs to match what you say. I don't know about you, but I find that being consistent many times in my walk is a challenge. I want to be consistent. It's not always easy. It's not easy, especially when you fall back on what I want. And self wants this. Flesh wants this. And so when I find an inconsistency, it's a reminder, I need to get back to the one who is consistent. But you know what motivates me to be consistent? There's a lot of motivations I have. I can talk about my marriage and my family and other aspects, my relationship to the Lord. But one of the things that motivates me in wanting to be consistent in how I live with what I believe is the lost community around us. By my being consistent, we can show the difference that Jesus makes in a person's life. And how our community needs to see our conduct lining up with the transforming power of the gospel. Because when our conduct doesn't line up with the gospel, we distort the truth of the good news. And by distorting the gospel, we hurt the cause of Christ. Listen, when you walk into a room, others should say... There goes a woman of God right there. There goes a man of God. They may hate you, but they should know you belong to God. Verse 19. Notice what Paul says. For I, through the law, am dead to the law. Why? That I might live unto God. In other words, once Christ comes into your life, you become dead to the law. Meaning what? The law can no longer condemn you. You, you, you say, um, what does that mean? Well, we put you back up to that measuring stick. And they would say to Priscilla, um, she's not tall enough to get on the ride. It condemns her. But if the, the owner of the amusement park says, but I declare you able to go on any ride, but put her up against that measuring stick, she falls short. Yes, but the owner declares she can ride on any ride she wants. When we come before the law, the law says guilty. All have fallen short of the standard and glory of God. But when we 
come to Jesus. Nothing in my hand I bring. Simply to the cross I cling. And I cry out, God, you're right. I'm wrong. Sin is my problem. Hell is the consequence. Jesus is the answer. And by faith, I cried, Lord, save me. And immediately he reaches down. He takes all of my sin, past, present, and future. And he doesn't just take them away so that I'm no longer a, a sinner. No, he declares a guilty, vile, wicked sinner innocent and says, now I can go free. Even a guilty sinner. If I stand by the law, I still see I fall short. But the justifier justifies and he's declared see the law can no longer condemn me why because the justifier is greater than the law the law can no longer arrest me the law can no longer sentence me why because I've been justified I've been declared right in my standing by faith in Jesus Christ and here's what some say Pastor Ingram, if I believe like you believe, then I could go out and sin all I wanted to. Yep. You can. But when I really met Jesus, He changed me on the inside out. And He went to tampering with my want to. He didn't change my kin. He just changes my, my wanter. I'm in his family for life. Have you ever heard of the prodigal? You and I can wander far away from God. But there's still a pathway back home. But when I stay near my justifier, I don't want to dabble in the things that put him on the cross and broke his heart. Amen. That's not to say that I never sinned, but it's to say that I don't want to. As a Christian, you can sin, but you cannot sin and win. Why? Because my justifier is also the best father I know. And he spanks all of his children that he loves. Don't think for a second that liberty that we have in Christ is also a license to sin. He says here, he says over in Romans, God forbid. That's why I enjoy being a soul winner. That's why I enjoy reading the Bible. That's why I enjoy participating in worship. That's why I enjoy giving to missions. Because when a person is introduced to Jesus, somebody new moves into their life and changes them from the inside out. So you just put it down. Salvation is the work of God. It's not by the effort of man. Let me ask you a question. Have you been declared righteous before a holy God? If not, you can experience God's liberation program this morning. Would you stand together with me, please?